Mark. Mark chapter 11 is where we are going to be. And as you open up there, will you bow with me and pray? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we don't take for granted what a gift it is to be able to, to read your word, to be able to gather together, to praise you, to thank you for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I just ask that, uh, that this day, as we are preparing to gather together and celebrate the birth of your son, that we would remember what Christmas is all about. That we wouldn't get distracted, as Joe said earlier. But that we would be able to be focused. Focused on the most important birth in the history of the world. God, will you help us to do that today? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. All right. You know, I don't know, I know some foreign language, uh, but since I've moved here, I've been learning more and more Spanish, and I, I came to find out that Merry Christmas just means, like, more Christ. Christ, mas. <laughs> I got some laughs. Thank you, Steve, for starting it. I know that's not what it means, but to me, that's kind of what it means, uh, more Christ. Uh, what a special time to gather together uh, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, King of kings and Lord of lords. And remember this time of year that Jesus was a baby, right? That he was born, born of a virgin. We see nativity scenes all over. Um, we like to drive around. This is one of our family traditions. We like to drive around and, and find uh, houses with lights. Uh, and, and I love seeing the, the nativity scenes. There's a lot of deer in the nativity scenes in Del Rio. Sometimes they're alive, you know, and they just kind of run through. But uh, I, I love seeing it, and, and I love that video. That is one of my favorite videos that we play here at this church. Like, that's, that's the same guy? Like, baby Jesus, you know? And this time of year, we tend to think about uh, Jesus as a baby, right? And that's appropriate. We celebrate that, that Jesus was born into this world, born of a virgin. But he grew up. He grew up. The same guy that was born into this world walked into the city of Jerusalem, his city. And he walked into his temple as king. And that's what we're looking at today in Mark chapter 11. Our passage takes us to the triumphal entry. And I have to ask, what kind of king do you long for? What kind of king do you long for in your heart? When you think of Jesus, what kind of Jesus do you long for? And this is going to be an important question because it, it applies to the people of our text and it applies to us. Some of us just want that sweet baby Jesus, right? We like to look at a nativity scene and we, we like to think about how beautiful it is, the majesty, the glory of God held in a baby. And that's amazing, and that, that's good to think of, but there's so much more to who Jesus is and who this king is, right? Uh, some of you might want to think about Prozac Jesus or therapist Jesus. You want a king that's 
just going to make you feel good. You want a king that's going to let you live your life, but, but ultimately make you feel good about what's going on. Uh, maybe you want Macy's Jesus. Macy's King Jesus. You know, the, the kind of king that just comes, brings gifts. Maybe wears a, a, a red little suit. We all love gifts, right? But sometimes it can seem a little hollow if that's all the king is going to do for us is just bring us gifts. There's got to be something else. What about district attorney Jesus? I was just thinking about all the things that, that we look for in the kingship of Jesus, but, but that maybe we think of more. You know, district attorney Jesus, district attorney king, you know, uh, the one that's going to make everything right. It's going to hold people accountable. Oh, those the bad people. What about uh, maybe vacation planner Jesus? The kind of king that doesn't demand much out of you, but entertains you. Helps transport you to just a nice little place where you can rest, be entertained for a little bit, and then go back to your life. Or perhaps no king at all. Maybe that's what you really desire. Deep down in your heart, I desire no king at all. Because you have the desire to rule over yourself. Oftentimes when we, when we come to the scriptures and we come face to face with who Jesus is, who this king is, we would rather have a Messiah of our own will a Messiah of our own making. One that will do what we expect. One that will do what we ask. And one that won't ask much of us. It's, it's a sad picture. But I think it's a true picture because of our sinfulness. We have good days. And then we have hard days following Jesus. The people of our passage uh, really can be separated kind of into four groups. And I, I submit to you that they weren't really looking for the king that Jesus was either. You had the, uh, you had the crowd, right? The crowd that was following Jesus. And if you uh, remember, just from last week, Jesus just healed a blind man, right? And that creates some excitement. And uh, if you permit me, the blind man calls out, Son of David, this is in verse 48, of Mark chapter 11. Son of David, have mercy on me. There was that proclamation that Jesus is the son of David as he calls out. And that, that has messianic overtones already. And then he performs a miracle and heals this man. That's got to create some excitement. And then Jesus continues his march to Jerusalem. But I don't think the, the crowd was really looking for the type of king Jesus is. They were happy with the miracle worker. They were happy with the, the man who could meet their mealtime needs. They were excited about that. And it's okay to be excited about that. But what happens throughout the Gospel of Mark every time he started to teach something difficult 
about what the kingdom of heaven was going to look like. That crowd would often disperse, wouldn't it? Uh, there were uh, Pharisees, which we know, uh, Pharisees, uh, they wanted a Jesus, they wanted a king that, that would not disturb their, their religious practices too much, that would allow them to keep their authority, keep their glory. They, they wanted a king that would just kind of let them do their thing and not get in their way. They wanted to be in charge. You have the, on the fringes of this group, you have the zealots that uh, wanted political upheaval, they wanted the Messiah to come and overthrow Rome. They wanted the earthly kingdom established here and now. And of course, you have the disciples that have been following Jesus for a while. And boy, they get so close. And we're going to see that in this passage, that they get close. But so many times the disciples, they really want a king that's going to endorse their visions of grandeur, don't they? They want a king that will make them dukes and princes in this new coming kingdom. In fact, uh, when Jesus begins to share with them how, how this kingdom will be ushered in through, through his sacrifice, through servanthood, what happens? They, they end up arguing with one another over who's going to get to be great. Who, who's going to be the prince? Who's going to be the duke? What's, what's the pecking order here? which just shows that even the disciples had so much to learn about what this king was about and what this kingdom is about. Mark gives us uh, so much detail, so much detail in this passage, more detail than any other gospels uh, regarding the procurement and the move of the colt, the donkey that, that Jesus is about to sit upon. This unbroken donkey that this king will ride as he approaches and enters Jerusalem. And we have to ask ourselves, what kind of people are we? What kind of king are we looking for, especially this season, this Christmas season? What kind of king are we looking for? So I want that, that question in the back of your mind as we approach our text this morning. All right, let's dig in. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, uh, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. And they went away, and they found a colt tied at the door, outside in the street, and they untied it. Now let's pause for a moment. What do we see about this king right here in this passage? We see that this king is truly sovereign. This king is all-knowing. This king told his disciples to go into this other town. By the way, they didn't have email back then, right? There, there was no Twitter or TikTok saying, hey, uh, Colt, for sale, you know, come pick it up, leave it in a paper bag on, on the door, you know, leave the money in, in a, right? That, that didn't exist. And some people have said, well, Jesus may have coordinated with somebody ahead of time, but that, that's not a plain reading of the text here. Jesus tells his disciples to go in this town that's on the other side and get a donkey, one that's never been ridden. How does he know it's never been ridden? Because he's Jesus. 
Because he's a king that knows. And he is sovereign over everything. Go there. Find a colt, one that has never been ridden. And if somebody asks you, tell them the Lord needs it, and he'll send it back here immediately. What do the disciples do, I wonder, when the sovereign king tells them to do something that probably doesn't make a lot of sense? Let's look. Verse 5. Some bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing? So they go, they start untying it. What are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. And they gave them permission. They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but I also don't want to pass by it too quickly. The disciples over and over and over again in, in, in the gospel of Mark grow a little bit, and then they make mistakes. And they grow a little bit, and then they make mistakes. But this passage, they grow. This is a growing passage. Why? They do just as Jesus told them. See, as disciples, we need to receive Jesus as king properly. The right way. Not with any kind of qualifiers that we may have, that he meets our needs first and then we'll receive him or anything like that. No, no. We need to receive Jesus as king. And when he asks them to do something, they do it just as they're told. And the same should be true for us as we follow Jesus. As we recognize that he is king over us, we should do as we're told. They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. And they gave them permission. And they brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road. And others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. We see a little bit more about this king here. This king has coats draped upon this donkey. And he rides upon this donkey. An untamed animal that no one has ever ridden. Probably made it look pretty easy too, although we don't know for sure. So I don't want to say that. What's going on with the taking off of the, of the coats? That's a recognition of Jesus' authority. It's a recognition of his authority. It's a demonstration of, of uh, the disciples' respect for Jesus. And then you have the crowd that, that's laying down their coats and the leafy branches, right? Uh, and elsewhere it says uh, the, the palms, right? Palm branches. And, and Jesus rides along this to the cheering of this crowd saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And they were singing. They were singing this. So what kind of king do we see here? Well, he's a king that fulfills prophecy, one. He's a king that fulfills prophecy. 
This first part, this is built off of Psalm 118. It comes specifically from Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. We also see that this, uh, this fulfills prophecy that this is the king that they were waiting for. Uh, Zechariah 9, 9 tells us, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just. This king is just. He is endowed with salvation. He has the actual ability to save these people. He is endowed with the very salvation that they need, that you need, that I need. That's who this king is. He is humble. He's mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I mean, that's pretty specific. That's pretty specific. Mark, Mark is being very specific here. He wants you to see that this is the king that Israel has waited for. The Old Testament stopped about 400 years before this. For 400 years, the people of Israel have had no prophet. They've been attacked. They've been mistreated. They've been led astray. They've wandered astray. For 400 years. And then in the person of Jesus Christ is born a prophet, a priest, and a king who will save them, who will save us. It's an amazing moment, and it's a moment that the people of Israel have been waiting for. They have been waiting for this. There is anticipation of this. And if you remember, this is during the time of um, the Passover feast, right? So uh, there's a ton of people in Jerusalem. Some, some, uh, some things I've read have said possibly up to 2.7 million people in Jerusalem. That's from some historians in that day. That's a, that's a lot of people in this one, you know, pretty small city. There's an anticipation and excitement and you see Jesus walking in, this king who fulfills everything that they've been looking for. Uh, the, the singing of this, uh, of this that's, it's built on Psalm 118, I've said that, it's one of the Hallel Psalms. One of the Hallel Psalms. It's a psalm that was used all the time in, in festivals and feasts, and celebrations. It was extremely well-known. In fact, uh, this particular psalm was likely written and sang for the Feast of the Tabernacles. And some people think it, it was written and sang at the very first Feast of Tabernacles. I, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm just kind of taking their, their word on it and, and what they say, that maybe it was written and sang at the first Feast of Tabernacles. If, for those of you that, that are unfamiliar, the Feast of the Tabernacles celebrates God's presence with his people. That's, that's what the whole feast is about. That God doesn't abandon his people, that he is present with them. And he saves them. Isn't it interesting that that's what's being sung and that's what Mark notes right here. 
that this man that we call Emmanuel, which means God with us, is riding a donkey and the people are singing the very psalm that was written to celebrate the presence of God with them. Do you see the, do you see the picture that Mark is building before you? He's got a loudspeaker. He's putting up neon lights and he's saying, this is the king. This is the one that you all have been waiting for. This is him. You would expect a major celebration right here. We see that he's the king in the line of David, which we know has messianic overtones. And as they sang this, uh, they were likely singing Hosanna. One group would sing Hosanna, and then the next group would sing another line, and then, and then uh, that, that group would sing the next line, and then they would all join in together. We're going to sing a song like that that's kind of like that. That's a little bit of a round, right? Uh, it's a little fun. It's a little awkward at first. It takes some getting used to. I hope you all come back. It's fun. But, but this, this psalm was how it was... That, that's how it was done. It was kind of like an echo in response and then, and then a resolve that they would sing together. And, and that's, the, that's the refrain, that's the, that's the sound that Jesus is hearing as they're going towards Jerusalem. I just think it's amazing. And, and Hosanna means uh, God save us. God save us in, in, in the simplest of terms. God save us. God save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. God save us in the highest. Now, by this time, it was probably used as like a liturgical, um, uh, just kind of a, a liturgical challenge and response, right? But, but that doesn't change the meaning. That, that, that's really what they're saying is God save us. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? You have this moment where there's this celebration of Jesus coming into the city into the temple, and they're singing, God save us. Maybe ironic's not the right word. Foreboding, maybe? Some of you literary nuts will tell me later, I'm sure. But it's an amazing picture. It's an amazing picture. And this is one of the things that I don't want us to miss. When we ask ourselves, what kind of king is this? This is a king that is with them. Not a king who is distant. Not a distant ruler who doesn't understand his people. One of the very things that we celebrate this Christmas season is that he was born, that he took on flesh, he took the form of a servant, that he was tempted in every way that we are tempted and yet lived a life perfect without sin. Yes, he lived a life without sin so that his sacrifice atoned for our sins, but also he lived a life perfect and without sin and yet was tempted in every way so that he understands what you are going through. He understands what you are going through. He understands what I am going through. 
He is not a distant, far-off king. He is there with his people. In fact, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, what does Jesus tell his disciples? Lo, I will be with you to the end of the ages. And we're told one of the promises of God is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. No, this king is here. This king is here. And he knows you. He knows you. Even the parts of you that you're scared to be known, he already knows it. You can't hide from him. If he knows about a cult in some off town that's never been ridden, he knows your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you need. And a lot of times it's not what you think you need. He knows you. This king knows you. And he chose to sacrifice himself for you. That is refreshing. That is freeing. Don't ever feel like you have to hide. Because this man, Jesus, already knows anything that you would want to keep from him. And he already sacrificed himself on your behalf. That is love. That is love. Um, verse 11 tells us that Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the 12 since it was already late. What an anticlimactic experience for the king that, that these people have been waiting for that they've been looking for. It's so, it's meant to be anticlimactic. It's, it's meant to be like, he's, he's coming. I can, I can see him coming down the road. And that's it. That's it. He just kind of goes in. Looks it around. Checks his watch. Eh, it's late. And then he leaves. And what does he see? We're not quite sure because the text doesn't tell us, but if you flip over to Luke, uh, flip over to Luke chapter 19, I think we see a, a picture, and we're going to see a little bit more of it in our next passage, but this is, um, this is one of the things that happens because of one of the things that he sees about this city. Look at what he says, uh, Luke chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. In my Bible, I just have... Uh, PPP, right there. You can put that in your Bible if you want, but for me, I have PPP because what that means for me is a picture of proper patriotism. <laughs> picture of proper patriotism. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I went to seminary, and they just, they make you write the same letter over and over again, and, you know, then you have to find the words that go with that letter, but that, that's what I have there. Uh, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, 
but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You didn't recognize that I was here. If I was king and I showed up and my people didn't recognize me, I'd be mad. Praise God I'm not king. Because Jesus weeps. Because he loves his people. And he knows that since they don't recognize him, it's just going to get worse for them. Folks, we can't make the same mistake. We cannot make the same mistake. We can't ignore the truth that Jesus is king. And what kind of king? A king that comes in peace. He brings peace. We see it here in, in Luke chapter 19. But the imagery of a king riding on a donkey is also one of peace. And we can't forget the truth that while he came in his first advent in peace, he is coming again. And it will be in judgment. And the king will then be riding a war horse. It's a serious thing when we think about the coming of Christ. And, and yes, I am, I am one who loves Christmas. I mean, I love Christmas. I listen to Christmas songs way too long. We have a family tradition. I can't tell you what it is because it's like one of those things where if I tell you, then you'll all know and, and it'll, it'll be a weird thing. Maybe I'll, I'll tell one of you later. But uh, it's a family tradition that really shows how much we love Christmas because it involves our Christmas decorations being up many months in, into the new year. I'll just, say, I'll just say many months. But we love Christmas. And yes, I get excited about, about, well, I get excited about the food. I do. I get excited about the food. I get excited about friends. I get excited about family. I get excited about presents. I do. Just last night, I was like, hey, honey, uh, where are those boxes that you told Caleb to hide? And she's like, why do you need to know? I'm just, just kind of wondering. Just kind of want to go look, you know. Don't you dare, you know. Um, I get excited about all that stuff, but we can't forget about the real reason why we celebrate. The real reason why my shirt is red and green. It's not because I'm a lumberjack, it's because I like this shirt, and this is the one time of year that I can wear this shirt in church, and people can't make too much fun of me, all right? The red reminds me of the blood of Christ. That, that we celebrate this season, the birth of our Savior, that there was a purpose to his birth. And that purpose is that he came as king and he came to die. 
He didn't just come to, to chill. He had a purpose. And his mission was to die. And the green reminds me of life. That it's only through his death that we have life. Jesus brings life. This king wants you to have life abundant. And what a good king he is. But we can't forget that. We cannot forget that. Um, a book uh, I've been reading with, uh, with some of the other pastors, uh, it's by Eugene Peterson. It's called Under the uh, Unpredictable Plan. I don't encourage you all to go buy it. I'm not, this, isn't, this isn't me telling you to go buy it, okay? It's directed towards pastors, and it is a great book for us. Uh, it could be a good book for you, too. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, you don't, don't feel like you got to go. I know you probably already spent a lot of money for some reason, this month. But, um, but it's a good book. And in this book, he details uh, one of the issues that we have as, as people, as churches, particularly in America. This is one of the things he says. He says, uh, people in our congregations, so he's talking about us, and I think he's talking about me also. He's just talking about people. People in our congregations, in fact, are, are shopping for idols. That's what he says. They're shopping for idols. And some of you can kind of see that. And I don't, I don't want to go into that, but I think you know what I mean. That sometimes when we attend a church, we're really looking for a particular idol that meets our needs. Uh, they enter our churches with the same mindset in which they go to shopping at the mall to get something that will please them or satisfy an appetite or a need. And then he goes on to talk, uh, he, he cites John Calvin, that John Calvin uh, talks about how uh, the human heart is a relentless, efficient factory for producing idols. That is what our heart does. That's probably the thing our heart does best. It's a danger for us to look at Jesus the way that the people looked at Jesus. That he's just there to meet our needs. That he's only there to serve us. That he's only there to make our lives better. That he's only there to, to have justice for the people that we want justice for. That, that's dangerous. Now, this king is, is holy, righteous, just. It's the very justice of God that demands an answer for the offense that we have committed in our own sin, in our own idolatry. But he is also merciful and gracious. And it is that, that love that makes a way for us to know him through the sacrifice of Jesus on a cross. Do you see how this all goes together? We can't over-elevate the one thing about Jesus that we really like. 
because we'll miss so much more. We can't miss the picture of who this king is. We can't miss it. It is absolutely vital that we get that. So, Jesus went to this people and he weeps because they didn't recognize his visitation. He goes into the temple and he looks around. And we're going to find out next week that he's not particularly happy with what he sees. What is Jesus going to see in your home today? What does Jesus see in your home tomorrow? And the next day? And the day after that? What does Jesus see in this church? For those of you visiting, what does Jesus see in the churches that you came from? What does Jesus see when he looks at our country? When he looks at the world? Does he see people who are worshiping in spirit and truth? Or does he see people that are really excited about getting a present? I've already said, you know, I I do get excited about presents. But it's the presence of God in our lives. The very presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, that we celebrate this time of year. That is what we should be thinking about. When we're sharing time with family, when we're sharing time with friends, when we're enjoying good food and good company, I hope that Christ is still the center of every single one of your thoughts, every single one of your conversations. That there are moments for you to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. And there are moments for you to share the gospel even with people who do know Jesus because we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the very forgiveness that we receive on Christ's behalf. We need to be reminded that the King has come. He has come indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, oh, what a gift. What a gift your son Jesus is. What a gift it is to know that, that he is given all authority, that he is a good king, that he knows us, that he loves us. God, we, we thank you for that. Help remind us of that as we celebrate this Christmas season. Help us to see the joy in the people of this passage and have that same joy, but a joy that is, that is realized in, in recognizing the fullness of who you are. God, will you do that for us today? It's in Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.